Well, last Sunday we began a gut-wrenching sermon series on a challenging book in the Bible, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Our series is titled Life Under the Sun. We continue today. Let me ask you a question. I want you to answer it honestly, but not out loud, of course. (laughs) What is it that will make you happy? Not happy in the moment, like that time your parents took you to the ice cream parlor when you were seven years old, and you not only were able to get one scoop, but you got two. What is it that you think will bring lasting happiness in your life, Uh, a satisfaction that makes all the struggle worth it? You know, a helpful way to figure out what really motivates you is to think about what you think about when you have time to daydream. What is your default daydream as you're perhaps in the car and the music's turned down and you start thinking and daydream? What is it that you go to? You know, our lives are a constant pursuit of happiness with the end goal of finding lasting satisfaction in life and significance. You know, we're all on a search for significance, but can it ever be achieved? We're going to look at this text before us. Our passage is quite long, so I'm only going to read uh, the first part of it now, and then we will cover the rest as we study it. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to read through verse 11. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen that everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made for myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and have slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and, provin- and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were born before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep, uh, keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. 
and behold, all was vanity, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that these hard words are in your scripture. Um, like a good father, you want us to see things in life that are futile, um, things that we can chase after that take us far from you, um, promises that, that fade um, instead of the true hope that we have in Christ. May this text and our time in it uh, change us and encourage us, we pray. Amen. John Liddick and Lynn Rosen co-founded a New York City-based self-help company, and it was titled, Why Not Now? The self-described personal life coaches and motivational speakers, they co-hosted a monthly hour-long radio show on a New York radio station, and the, the program was titled, The Pursuit of Happiness. They delighted their followers with their seize-the-day approach to life and the, the need to act in the moment. They didn't coin the acronym YOLO, but they certainly lived it out, at least until the day in which the police went to their apartment and found the couple sitting on their couch with plastic bags over their heads. They had killed themselves in a suicide pact. This couple were considered the experts, wise experts, in the area of the pursuit of happiness. And in the end, they took their own life. The pursuit of happiness is an unhappy pursuit. Those aren't my words. That's what the preacher says in verse 13 of chapter 1. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the heaven. It is an unhappy business God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. First, the teacher, the preacher, is saying that God has given mankind a task to be busy with. What is it? It's the business of seeking satisfaction. God has wired every human being with an appetite for satisfaction. Satisfaction's not a bad thing. It's where we find it. And now, here in our text, the wisest person who has ever lived spent years studying the meaning of life under the sun. Remember, that's horizontal view, without looking up towards the heaven. And, and happiness was not what he found. He concluded that the pursuit of satisfaction in life is an unhappy business. Now, it's not that you don't have happy days. A perfect day on the beach, an unexpected new client, 724 views on your Instagram video. Heart emoji, heart emoji, hands clap, hands clap, and this thing, whatever that is. Listen, it's not that the preacher, it's not, he isn't saying that we human beings don't have days where we say, I wish this day could never end. He's not saying you don't have days like that. He's saying the problem is the sun always sets upon the days you wish would never end. There's no escaping it. 
but we still try. For every fabulous weekend at the beach, there's a Monday morning with a boss at his desk waiting for you to clock in. And so we lean into today, hoping to find happiness for tomorrow. We long for it deep inside, don't we? It's such a part of who we are that we rarely stop to even think about it. But we should. The writer of Ecclesiastes wants us to think about life. He wants, us to, take, he wants to take us into his life so that he can see all the dead ends that he's already found. And he doesn't just want us to learn from his mistakes. He wants to take us to a good place, to the well, to the waters of life, the only fountain that can satisfy our thirsty souls. He leads you to fresh water. Question is, once you get there, will you drink? So let's follow the wisdom in our passage and see where it leads us. Who is leading us? Well, verse 12, we read, I, the preacher. We covered that a little bit last week. Uh, he says, I've been king over Israel. The words that follow were either written by King Solomon or they're, they're just obviously based on his life. And the teacher or preacher, Koheleth, could be Solomon himself or some other preacher who's doing what I'm doing, preaching uh, Solomon's wise words to his hearers. Now, if you recall the life of Solomon, you will recall how God offered Solomon whatever he desired. Just name it, Solomon. What is it that you would like? And remember, Solomon did not ask for next week's Powerball numbers. He asked for wisdom. Now, listen. Because Solomon was the wisest person who ever walked the earth, and because he gave his life in the pursuit of finding the answers to life's big questions, we can rest assured that he has done the heavy lifting for us. Verse 14, the preacher says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And our hearts go, yes, yes, tell us some good news, Solomon. Tell us you found a path in life full of meaning and purpose and satisfaction. But instead, the, the preacher gives us a punch in the gut. He says, behold, it is all vanity and a striving after the wind. Remember from last week, the word vanity, it's a Hebrew word, hebel. It means vapor or mist or mere breath. Picture a drop of water falling on a hot skillet. Psst. That's hebel. We saw last week that all of human life is hebel. Hebel of hebel, vanities of vanities, is our life under the sun apart from God. In verse 14, though, he also adds another, another phrase. He says, a striving after the wind. It occurs four times in our text. Uh, now, the Hebrew word for striving means to herd or to, to, to herd like herding sheep. Consider how silly it would look to see someone yelling at the wind with their hands up, trying to stop it and control it. How silly it is to herd the wind, right? So to happiness. Consider how much you sacrifice every day so that you can hopefully enjoy happiness someday in the future. That's hurting happiness. Striving after the wind. Consider how you put in extra hours at work to earn a bigger commission so you can get some money set aside for a new car, a nice vacation, perhaps a, a nice, healthy, happy retirement. I've got this. Don't worry. I can herd my happiness. Just watch me. Come here, happiness. No, no, stop. I said come here. Darn it. 
Why is our search for significance like herding the wind? The preacher gives us a proverb in verse 15. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. Two things he's telling us here. First, that so much in life is crooked and we just can't make it straight. Now, not so much crooked as in criminal, uh, but in the sense of being bent out of shape, like when you get in a car crash, a uh, little fender bender is what we call them, right? Try as you may, but you cannot hammer that fender back out. We live in a world that has fallen, it is crooked, and cannot be made straight. Our best efforts leave us far short of satisfaction. We suffer at the hands of angry spouses or angry bosses. We suffer from pain from others and from our own sinful actions. And then there are the COVIDs and the cancers and a myriad of other calamities that we cannot make straight. Second, the preacher says, what is lacking cannot be counted. Bill Riken, who I'm indebted to this morning, here's what he says. He says, like an account that refuses to balance. Does anybody balance their checkbooks anymore? I do. Um, like an account that refuses to balance. We can tell there is a deficit, but we can't figure out exactly what it is. And even when we make an adjustment to get everything to add up correctly, you ever had to do that in your bank statement? You're like, I just can't find out where that 69 cents is, came from. And so you just write it in there. And so here's what he says. Even though we make an adjustment to get everything to add up correctly, deep down we know that somehow we're fudging the figures. <laughs> Added to these limitations comes another. See, you would think that the wiser you become, the happier you become, but it's actually the opposite. Look at verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. We're given a mathematical formula. More wisdom equals more sadness, right? Think of all the horrible things you knew nothing of when you were three years old. Think of all the horrible things you wish you could unknow. Loneliness, death, backstabbing friends, hurtful words, porn, racism, the Holocaust. The more you learn of this world, the more, not less, your sorrow increases. Do you understand this? You know it's true. So in his search for meaning and satisfaction in life, the writer first takes the path of wisdom, but he finds that it's vapor, a striving after the wind. Now, what's the next logical path to take in life? Well, if wisdom leads to sorrow, well, what do you say let's drown our sorrows? If you can't make sense of the world, then numb your senses. That's what the preacher did. What did the preacher do? He cranked up the stereo on his chariot to, to that, that, and he rocked out to that, you know, the car song, Let the Good Times Rule. And he chased after pleasure. Where did he go? Comedy clubs? Yep. What did he find? Verse 2. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? Maybe he caught the comedian Louis C.K.'s act that night he was on Conan. Maybe you saw it too. He was talking about how he hates cell phones. He's trying to be funny, but really he was agreeing with our preacher. Here's what he said. Listen. Underneath everything in your life, there is that thing, that empty, forever empty, just that knowledge that it's all for nothing and you're alone. You know, it's down there. And sometimes when things clear away, 
you're not watching anything, you're in your car, you're just going, oh no, here it comes that I'm alone. You know, it starts to visit you, just this sadness. Life is tremendously sad just by being in it. For a funny man, Louis C.K. is quite the buzz killer. Give me my money back, says the preacher. Forget about the two great men. Then in verse 2, the preacher says he turned to cheer his body with wine. Consider how much of the world drinks and smokes and snorts their sorrows away. The preacher went there and did that. He went to that place where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. But then he ended up in a nauseating conversation with Fraser Crane. And he said, no thanks, Woody. I got to go. He then turns to another way we humans pursue pleasure for ourselves. We buy and we build nice homes and plant gardens, thinking that having a better home will somehow make us feel at home in this world. To everyone here who thinks that having a palace on the beach in the Hamptons will bring significance to your life, the preacher says no. And he should know better than any of us. He should know better than all. He did it all. He built beautiful homes. You see that? Plural. He planted magnificent gardens. Plural. Vineyards. Plural. Solomon had thousands of servants. So many servants that First Kings tells us that every day the chefs in his royal kitchen prepared 10 fat oxen. 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep, plus all kinds of other food. Me, I'm like, I feel like I'm living large when I got like a full bag of Stacy's pita chips and a can, <laughs> and a can of LaCroix. They're hard to come by in my house, trust me. Back in Solomon's day, it was a rare occurrence to listen to music, right? Think about it. There was no app for that. But that's okay. Solomon brought the bands in. He had music every night. Beyonce, Kid Rock, the Beatles, and oh yes, The Weeknd. And oh, uh, did I mention the concubines? Wink, wink. A thousand sexy, sexy girls with nothing on but a thong, 24-7. Understand this, no human being who ever lived has ever pursued pleasure with more in life more than King Solomon. No one comes close. Hugh Hefner, not a chance. The Kardashians, trailer park divas in comparison. In verse 9, he says, he became great and surpassed all who were before him. He said with regards to the hedonistic life that he was all in. Verse 10, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Today, Solomon would have been on the cover of Fortune magazine, Hamptons magazine, wine enthusiast. What's the cigar magazine? Is it Cigar Aficionado, GQ, Architectural Digest, all in the same week. Riken says it's hard not to envy a man like that a bit, right? Who wouldn't like to live like a king or a queen? Don't you wish you had someone to do your dirty work for you? Before you say yes, you need to know the result of his experiment. What happens to people when they pursue any and every pleasure as their main passion in life? I think many of us know already. 
we have, many, we have as many opportunities as Solomon, as many as he had to indulge in sinful, selfish desires. In fact, in some ways, he maybe would envy us, right? Generally speaking, we live in better homes with better furniture, climate control. We dine at larger buffets. We listen to a much wider variety of music. As far as sex is concerned, we can download an endless parade of virtual parties, a harem for the imagination. Everything is offered us. Nothing is unavailable. Let me ask, are we satisfied or do we still want more? We're not satisfied, of course. As David Hubbard wisely observes, listen, pleasure's advertising agency is much more effective than its manufacturing department. Solomon would like the covenant people of God to avoid the empty pursuit of pleasure. He makes the following conclusion for us to ponder. Verse 11, Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Riken says we will either learn this lesson from Ecclesiastes or else we will learn it from our own melancholy experience. Just ask Tom Brady, star quarterback to the New England Patriots, who wanted to know, he literally said this when being interviewed, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what is. I reached my goal, my dreams, my life. Me, I think, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And the interviewer asks, what's the answer? Brady could only answer, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. So the preacher tries the path of wisdom and found satisfaction in life does not come from wisdom. Then he tries the path of earthly pleasures and found satisfaction in life does not come from the pursuit of pleasure. So now he sets up a test to, to see if moral living is better than immorality. We see this beginning in verse uh, 12 in chapter 2. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what can the man do who, um, who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more to gain in wisdom and folly as there is more to gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. So at first, it seems like the preacher's pursuits are going to pay off. He likens wisdom to walking in the light. This is living morally versus immorally. And he concludes it's better to walk in the light than in darkness. And it's true, it's better to live with wisdom, for it allows you to see into the darkness of this world. So far, so good, Solomon. 
But then there's this thought that he has that it undone, undoes it all. He concludes that in the end, it doesn't matter if you live morally or immorally, for the wise die just like the, like the fool died. In the end, death is the great enemy of satisfaction. Whether you're wise or foolish, listen, within your lifetime, you will die. So the preacher says, I hated life. It is all grievous. It's all vapor and striving after the wind. Lastly, he looked at all the toil in his life and all the riches that his toil produced. And instead of contentment, what did he experience? Verse 18, he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes uh, a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all, his, all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation even in the night. His heart does not rest. This also is vanity. The more you have, the more anxiety you experience. You have a hard time sleeping, says the preacher. This is hitting close to home. And to top it off, when you die, everything you toil for gets deposited in some freeloader's account. <laughs> Kids, you're not freeloaders. Father's Day, after all. Um, death is a great equalizer of us all. Did you know, listen, did you know that someday in the future, you will be just as wealthy as Bill Gates? Think about it. The second you die, you will be just as wealthy as Bill Gates the second he dies. You don't like that, do you? There are no one percenters in heaven or hell. Death makes us all zero percenters. Or is it 100 percenters? I didn't take time to figure that out. Somebody email you your answer. So let me ask you, are you wise enough to be afraid of death? Like the preacher, have you come to hate life in a good way? Are you, are you discouraged by the vanity of your existence? You should be. Have you experienced life like a herding of the wind? The preacher has brought us to a good place. Remember, he wants our lives to unravel so that they can be knit back together in God's grace. See, perhaps when we finally discover that all pleasures we pursue under the sun cannot satisfy our souls, then maybe, maybe we will look beyond this world. Riken states, our unsatisfied longings are a spiritual clue that we were made to enjoy the pleasures of God. The end of Psalm 16 that Liza read earlier states that you, God, you make known to me the path of life, the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy 
at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Please understand, especially if you're a young person here, God is a happy, joyful God. He is so full of joy and delight. There's nothing lacking there. It overflows. He's not mean or stingy or boring. He is a good, lovely God who is so full of pleasure that we must find our pleasure in him, with him. Listen, let me ask. Is it possible that God wants us to look for satisfaction everywhere under the sun so that in not finding it, we would look above the sun to heaven and experience the path of life from God wherein our joy flows from his fullness of joy. Does God want us to see the futility of finding lasting happiness on earth so that you will find it in him who created you? And the answer is yes. Remember how we began this passage, verse 13. It is an unhappy business that God has given. He's given us an unhappy business. He's given it to the children of man to be busy with. God has given us this unhappy business of searching for happiness under the sun so that we come to the conclusion of verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it is all vanity, a striving after the wind. And then in humble trembling, we look up to heaven where our help is found. Is it possible that God would do such a thing? Give us an unhappy business? so that we would find our happiness in him? Remember after Adam was, was created and he was alone in the garden? Everything was perfect there. There was no fall at this time. Remember how God had all the animals on earth walk by Adam so he could study them and name them? And in the end, Adam came to the conclusion that he was alone, without a mate. No animal in creation could satisfy him. God put him through that task. Kind of an unhappy business. So God said it's not good for man to be alone. He created Eve from Adam's side. In a similar way, God has given us an unhappy business of looking at everything under the sun so that we can realize we're alone and hopeless without him. He wants us to see how alone we are without Christ. Do you understand that? Do you see that until you look up to Christ and give your life to him, you are stuck living a life of hurting happiness, and it will never satisfy? There must be a creator above who alone can satisfy in the midst of our toil. And that's what the preacher points us to finally in verse 24 through 26. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. But we say, then there's got to be more than that, right? I mean, there's got to be more than that, right? This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. 
is also his vanity and the striving after the wind. Verse 24 that says that from the hand of God comes the, the ability for us to eat and drink and, and find simple enjoyment in our toil. In verse 25, he restates this in the form of a question. Apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? It's a rhetorical question meant to get us to see that there is no joy, no satisfaction in a world apart from God. Now, it's important that we see that the writer isn't just saying that the location of our happiness is misplaced. He is saying we have a timing problem also. He wants us to see how we toil without joy today, thinking that happiness will come tomorrow. It's a timing thing. Isn't it true? We labor so hard for just a chance at happiness tomorrow. Think of all the toiling you experience every day just for a shot at a better tomorrow. And just how angry and frustrated and wrapped tight you get. Things we chase after, not necessarily bad things, things like good grades, a new car, a new lover, healthy, wealthy retirement. Right? Look at how you tend to live life. Do you see in yourself the tendency to get so worked up about securing success in the future that today is a complete washout? The preacher is saying don't postpone enjoyment to a time in the future. It likely won't be there for you. Or if it is, in the end, you will find out it really wasn't what you thought it would be. It's a welcome word. It's a welcome word. We hear it and we're like, wow, simplified life. I, it kind of makes sense to me. I, I like to get one of those tiny houses and move to the Adirondacks and just live off the grid. That's not really what he's saying. It, it is a simplified more life, but you can do that without Jesus and you're still going to find yourself unsatisfied. No, this is a welcome word, but it also comes with a sledgehammer. If we embrace the God-given wisdom of the preacher, then it will, it must, demolish our current approach to life. Later in the book of this of Ecclesiastes, we'll read this, these words, Ecclesiastes 4.6. Listen, better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and of striving after the wind. We nod in our heads and we agree, yeah. It's better, to, it's better to work for just one handful with a little bit of peace uh, than double, double toil and trouble. We say, I like that idea. But then we about face and walk the other way every day of our lives, do we not? For some reason, we cannot be content with one handful. One of my daughters was a little girl, and we would give her something nice like ice cream. She would ask for more, and I would say, you have plenty? And she'd say, I don't want plenty. I want lots. <laughs> Listen, this is how we are all wired. A handful with quietness of soul. Hmm, let me think. Hmm, no, I'll take two handfuls, please. The preacher says, my friends, listen, it's simple. Eat your daily bread. Lift your glass of wine. Make a toast. 
and enjoy the toil of your day. This is from the hand of God. My friends, listen closely. There is no wholeness in life apart from God. You cannot find it anywhere else. Even with God in your life, life is hard, right? The wiser you become, the more sorrow you have to endure. The longer you live, the more of your friends die. And so the Christian life is to be lived day by day with our heads lifted above the sun. And with our heads lifted high, we praise not my kingdom come, but thy kingdom come. And then, listen, even the mundane toil of picking up Legos for the third time in one day. Or the turning of a cheek at an angry co-worker. Listen, this toil becomes something holy and good. How's that possible? How can previously mundane deeds become cause to rejoice? Because at the end of the day, when you sit down for a meal with your family or friends, or perhaps even alone, and reflect on the day's hardness, you are able to rejoice. Why? How? Because you have come to know and delight in the fact that God is able to use weak and wounded and sinful people like you and me to shine the light of his hope into a world that is so hopeless it doesn't even know it's hopeless. Listen, Grace Church, we are the body of Christ. We are Christ's body. This is where ecclesiology, the study of the church is important for us. We are his body. Listen, Jesus is alive. And we are alive in him. When we toil in this broken world with our eyes towards the, above the sun, we come to realize that we can bear fruit. He bears fruit through us for his glory. Do you believe this? Jesus, our Lord, our Lord, Lord, Lord showed us the way of hopeful toiling under the sun. And he calls us to the same way of living. Something remarkable happens when we come to Christ. Our lives become now hidden in Christ. And so the toil we enter into each day need not be relegated to a striving after the Lord. In a moment, we're going to gather for the Lord's Supper. Guess what? We will eat and we will drink as our Lord has commanded us. And the writer has described there is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. For us, we will eat and drink as our Lord has commanded us. And we will find enjoyment. But it won't just be enjoyment in our toil. It will be in how our loving Savior has toiled for us. Listen, only the cross of Christ can make what is crooked straight. What is lacking to be counted good. On the cross, Jesus, our great shepherd, herded not the wind, but our souls. This meal we're about to eat says it all. It says, slow down 
Don't spend today's energy chasing tomorrow's joys. Feed on Christ today. Lift your heads to heaven today. And see Christ today as he smiles over you today. Receive your grace for today. And sleep well knowing that there's more grace for tomorrow. This is from the hand of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We know you are a father because you treat us like children who you love and care for. You want us to learn from this world great truths. You, you want us to realize that we are made by you to, to be creatures that are full of joy and, and delighting in pleasure. But you want to show us where not to find it. We thank you that each day there is mercy and grace towards us, your covenant children, as we stray and wander away, as we find ourselves busy and anxious, just like our unbelieving neighbors, we ask that you would change us in this hour. Help us to be transformed just a little bit more this week into our loving Savior who toiled on our behalf so that we can rest from this toil on earth. We pray, we thank you in Jesus' name.